Hi, this is Dan Corver, uh, pastor here at Dalton Hill Baptist Church. <clears throat> we're a small Baptist church located in Owasso, Oklahoma. We're small enough to know you, but we're big enough to serve you and for you to serve as well. Our vision is to rescue, restore, and return to service. Rescue a non-believer or a believer who has been hurt or is lost. Restoring them to Christ in fellowship with other believers with the desire that they in turn will help others along their way. Bill, come up and speak. Just want to mention too, uh, just a accommodation to you all are to is we're a, obviously a small church but I think if I'm not mistaken we give more to their college than any church in the United States and are at least equal to uh, which is sad on the other churches that are 10 20 times our size but it's gifts like what you all have chosen to give is what's helping that make possible so That is the sad truth. But uh, thank you for your generosity. So, uh, the word priority. uh, Dictionary says it's about priorities. When you value something, you give precedence to or preference to. So, think about your priorities. Something you value, give precedence to or preference to. Now let's look at another P word, procrastinate. (laughs) That is to put off intentionally or habitually. Now, you're an interactive crowd, which I love. You know, we all do both of those things. And the things, there are certain things in our lives that we just never can seem to get around to. And there are other things that uh, we always do. We never miss. You can't remember the last time you missed whatever this thing was. Both concepts, I'm convinced, are priorities. What we procrastinate about, what we put off, reveal a lot about our value system and our hearts. So, my question this morning, this is just a a rhetorical, don't answer it out loud. What does God want to say to us this morning about our values, our priorities, what we procrastinate about? You uh, still use your Bibles here, yes? yes? I used to say all the time, open your Bible to it. Now I have to, I've learned in my older years, I have to say, open your Bible or your device, because everybody follows on their phone or their tablet or their iPad or whatever. But open your Bible or your device to the little book of Haggai. Now if you're thinking, where in the world is Haggai? Is that even in the Bible? Let me make it a little easier for you. Go to Matthew and then go left about 20 pages. If you go to Matthew 1 and then go left 20 pages, you'll be just about there. (laughs) Quick story, true story. By the way, pastors ought to tell true stories from the pulpit, right? (laughs) So when I was a young youth pastor, I was working for a guy that Gene and Dan know, this guy named Jim Rayford. And uh, he didn't usually tell me what he asked me what he wanted me to do for him. He just told me what I was going to do for him. And so he said, and this is when I'm really, really young and green, and I preach like two sermons a year, you know, this time and this time he's on vacation. And he was doing some doctoral work at Dallas Seminary. And he said, Bill, this is like in late June, the month of July you're preaching for me all four Sundays. I'll be in Dallas. Thinking, four Sundays in a row? I'll ever fill four Sundays in a row. 
So I started racing, like, what would I preach on? I like, if I, if I preach about Romans, people know Romans better than I do. If I preach about the Apostle Paul, they know Paul better than I do. Now, 23 years old when this happened, I'm thinking, what would I know that I would be the expert and nobody in the room knows anything about this thing or this book or whatever? And I thought, Haggai, they can't even find it. <laughs> this is not how to choose your first sermon series, okay? Okay, so is everybody in Haggai? All right, so this is always the case, always the case, but probably more so on a sermon like this. That's context. Context is huge when you look at the Bible. So let me give you some context for the passage we're going to look at. So the Babylonian captivity has happened. The southern kingdom of Judah, because of their disobedience to God, he said, plant the land and every seventh year let it go fallow and... uh, they said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to just, you know, the old phrase, you know, you make hay while the sun shines. We'll just keep on making hay, right? 490 years later, God said, well, you know, you skipped 70 of those. So rather than we'll do it every seventh year now, we'll just do 70 consecutive ones. You're, you're gone to Babylon. Like, oh, okay. So now near the end of the 70 years of captivity, Persia defeats the Babylonians. Remember Daniel 5? Daniel says to this guy at this feast, uh, Meaning, meaning, Tikalu Farson, you've been what, found in the balance and your, 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 your kingdom's over tonight. And the Persians defeated Babylon that night. Okay, so now in, walk, in come the Persians. And they had this king named Cyrus, and he gave permission for anybody who was a Jew in the land, if you want to go back to your homeland, go for it. And nearly 50,000 of them did. And this guy named Ezra, and another guy named Zerubbabel. There's a mouthful, right? And so 50,000 almost people came back to the land of Judah, think Jerusalem, all right? And according to the book of Ezra, they got permission to get materials to build the, rebuild the temple. And then it destroyed. So now they've got all that they need to build the place. Great. And Ezra 3 says this, the second year of Cyrus, now this is important, the year would be 536 B.C., they laid the foundation of the temple. And there's great rejoicing. Yes! You can just imagine, let's suppose Dalton decided to build a brand new building, and you lay the cornerstone, like, yay! Because, you know, the building's not that far away. We just started it. Well, they got some opposition. Really, it really was opposition. And so they stopped the building. Okay? And, uh, and they stopped the building at 536 B.C. Okay? 536 B.C. Work stoppage. All right. Last but not least, and a couple other things. You know, when you read a passage of Scripture and you have no clue who anybody is, it's kind of like, who is that and who are that? Let me give you some of the key, three key players. Haggai, the prophet. His name means festal. Led people to believe he was probably born during one of Israel's feasts. Don't know that, but that's what we think. Uh, interestingly, he comes on the pages of these two chapters of Haggai, and he's never before seen, never after that seen. As far as we know, his ministry lasted four months. And for 2,600 years, we've been reading about his story. You can have a really short ministry and God uses you significantly. Well, there's two other key players. This guy named Zerubbabel. He's the grandson to the last king they had before the captivity. So he's kind of the kingly line, the royal line, right? His granddad was this guy named Jehoiachin. And there's this other guy who's going to be listening to the story named Joshua. That's not the Joshua that followed Moses. Joshua was a very common name. This guy, this Joshua, was the son of a guy named Jehozadak, and his dad was the high priest that was carved off into captivity. So you have this prophet, 
Then you have this guy who's of the kingly line, Zerubbabel, and Joshua is of the priestly line. There are three key leaders for this remnant of 50,000 or so that are back in the land. You with me? I said last, I got one last thing for you. So sometimes when we read this portion of the Bible, which, let's be honest, how many times have you been to Haggai? <laughs> okay? And don't, don't vote on this one out loud, but I'm guessing that you may not have ever heard a sermon on the book of Haggai. And by the way, we're not going to cover the whole book, but it is just two short chapters. So you read the Bible and you're thinking, who is this person and where do they fit into this story? Well, the book of Ezra is the 15th book of the Bible, and it talks about the return to the land. 15th book of our, of our English Old Testament. So Ezra. Next book is Nehemiah. That's the 16th book. It talks about building a wall. They did it in 80-some days. Then the next book is this book called Esther. Remember Queen Esther? It's about those Jews who said, no, we're not going to go back to the land. We're going to stay here because it's pretty good here in Persia. 15th, 16th, and 17th book. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, and Haggai's the 37th one. We just skipped 20 books, but chronologically, we're right there where those three books are. Y'all, does that make sense now? Okay. So if it frustrates you, the Bible, Old Testament, and New is not always listed chronologically, lots of times thematically, which is the case here. All right? So now we're finally to the book of Haggai, <clears throat> chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Is the, it's the priority of the... People. What's what are their priorities? Remember, if you prioritize something, it gets first place. Well, maybe if it's a low priority, then it gets you know tenth place or last place or whatever. What 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 are their priorities? Well, we're told a little bit. Verse one and two. In the second year of Darius the king, that's Darius the king of Persia. On the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel. Remember, that's the kingly line, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, all of that introduction, here's the three key players, and here's what God said through the prophet's mouth. Verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Remember they started this thing in 5, excuse me, they started in 538, stopped at 536. And when you get to this point, they're saying, well, you know, it's, it's really not time yet. Reveals a little bit of their priorities. It's not, not time to build God's house just yet. So, when you procrastinate something in your life, why do you usually procrastinate? You can actually talk out loud on this one. Why do you, why do you procrastinate? You're like me. It's too hard. Don't want to do it. Do you want to? Don't want to do it. It's too hard. You're uncertain. It takes really, really low priority. A lot, a lot of things. In my life, usually it's too hard. You know, I don't think I can do that. But truth be known, for me, more often than not, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I just don't want to do it. And if I really want to do it, guess what I do? I make time for it. Uh, now, back to that first line of verse 1. In the second year of Darius. Now, we don't, have, we don't even know our American history very well, much less Persian history, right? Just trust me on this for just a second. That's 520 B.C. 536, they stopped. 16 years later, remember, because we're B.C., you're going down in numbers from 536 to 520, stoppage. We're not, they procrastinated for 16 consecutive years. Not 16 days, weeks, 
or months, 16 years. And their priority was, remember verse 2, this people says the time has not come. No, it's not time yet. You want to say out loud, well, after 16 years, when will it ever be the right time? So, again, rhetorical, don't answer these out loud. So what about your priorities? How does your... How do you reveal your priorities as you look at your life or if other people looked at your life? How do your priorities kind of come out? Well, here's a couple of thoughts. For you. When it comes to your time, what's, what's first place? I mean, this happens every day. I got news for you. You can, look, you can tell by looking at me. I don't miss that many meals. Y'all didn't have to laugh so quick. <laughs> Nobody has to remind me, hey, Bill, it's time to eat. That's a real high priority in my life. So what takes first place versus what are some things that I just never seem to get around to? It's like last place. It's really low on my to-do list. I've got some of those. Okay. What are some, some activities or some things that I never miss? Like I said, I rarely miss eating. Certain things that I rarely miss. What, do you, what is it you rarely miss? My guess is in a room this size there are some who never miss a certain TV show. I mean, it's like, you never miss it. I almost hate to say this publicly, but I uh, live in a part of the United States, close to it anyway. My wife's from this place called Alabama, and they have this football team called the Crimson Tide. Just can't even say I said that publicly. I know lots of people in our part of the world that on Saturdays in the, in the fall, everything is rearranged around what time that game will be on. I mean, I know people who ministry, and when somebody comes to them and says, hey, would you do our wedding on such a... The first thing is, let me check with Al, is Alabama playing that day or not. And if Alabama's playing at 2 o'clock, I'm not doing your wedding that Saturday. Would you say that's a priority? I'm not saying you say it's a good priority. Is it a priority? Absolutely. There are certain things that people will not miss. Now, again, just between you and the Lord, what are some, what are some things that you just will not miss? Period. Well, here's what I know then. That is a high priority for you. And for the people of Judah, the pro the temple, 16 years later, nah, it's not time yet. Well, time is how we reveal our priorities. Our resources. Uh, I know people, maybe you do too, and if I were to be realized, I'm the same way to a lesser degree, I guess. I know people who will spend tens of thousands of dollars on their hobby. Like a really nice extra garage, and they have like a $50,000, $75,000 car in that garage, a classic, that if you just look at it wrong, they'll get upset. Like, stay away from my car. And if you say to that same person, hey, would you donate to this worthy cause? They look at you like you're like some monster or something. Like, are you kidding me? You say, well, I don't have a $75,000 classic car in my garage. I have a little thing, like, for example, I don't have one on me today because TSA frowns on this, but I usually carry a pocket knife. I started about six, seven years ago collecting pocket knives. I don't find it hard at all to go to a store that sells pocket knives and see a case or a buck knife, and I'll say, oh, yeah, I, like, I like that one. How much is that? And they'll say, eh, 60 bucks. Oh, okay. Like, I need 37 pocket knives. You only can carry <laughs> one at a time. All right? So those reveal priorities. What do you... I find it easy to spend your resources on. On the other end of the extreme, what is it that you <laughs> find it very hard to cough up a five or a ten or a twenty dollar bill on? <sighs> that reveals priorities. 
I realize I'm speaking to the choir here. <laughs> Thank you for your generosity, but this is a telling statistic you need to hear. In evangelical circles, I assume you claim to be evangelical, the average evangelical in this country gives 3% or less of his income away to the Lord, and the more people make, the less they give percentage-wise. Well, that reveals a priority. In the average church in America, that's evangelicals and more liberals and all that, all put together, of every dollar given in an offering, one penny makes it to missions. One penny. Wow. And we have a world that needs to hear about Jesus, which reveals a priority. Lastly, before we move on, what about people? How you spend time, interact with, the time you give them, so far, how you interact with people and who you interact with reveals a lot about your priorities as well. Well, Haggai says to the people, on behalf of the Lord, <laughs> here's your priority. Your priority is the temple was not a priority for us. It's 16 years and it's still not going to go to the top of the list. All right, well, we'll read verses 3 to 11, and the prophet, on behalf of God, charges them to co consider their priorities. Listen to verse 3, and we'll read along. Verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one has no one is warm enough. He who earns, earns wages to, be, to put in a purse. Guys, just think wallet. Wallet with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because my house lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because you, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. So, two times the Lord asked this question, verse 5 and verse 8, is it time? Remember, they said it's not time. <laughs> and he says two times, with question for him, is it time? And then two times he commands, consider your ways. Verse 5 and verse 7. The word consider your ways, consider, means to set your heart on. Here's a Bill Corver translation, if you will. Take a long, close, honest look at your life. When he says consider your way, take, take a long, close, honest look at your life. Well, because of their misplaced priorities, here's some things that had happened. Misused resources. Look at verse 4. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now, this is kind of a cultural explanation is in order. I don't know about your house. I have not been in anybody's house here. I've been in my mom and dad's house for you know a lot, a lot of times. And paneling here in the United States, don't take offense if you have paneling in your house. You can go to Home Depot or Lowe's or any box store and you buy a four by eight sheet, right? This is yes. Come on, somebody besides Dan. Okay, you're with me. Four by eight sheet, okay? Well, that's not the kind of paneling they had back then. Okay, this is like planks. Okay? And y'all do know they did not have Home Depot and Lowe's back in those days. <laughs> they had no power saws, planters, joiners, any of that. Okay, So if you had boards to actually put on your wall, this was high cotton. This was big stuff. right? Well, we're not going to take time to go there, but according to Ezra chapter 3, verse 7, 
they had taken up an offering back in the land, and when they got the offering, they purchased wood and other materials to build the temple. And what happened to the wood? Well, they appropriated it for my den and my living room and my bonus room. Ooh, <laughs> this is not good. I'll read verse 4 again. Is it time for you yourselves to go and panel houses? Well, this house lies desolate. Just imagine what it would be like to lay a foundation for a building, and for 16 years, weeds and trees have taken over the, the foundation. That's, that's what happened 16 years, and they had a nice 4-3 or whatever they had. You know, wow, nice home. <laughs> he says, your priorities are all messed up. And because their priorities are all messed up, they, they've done some things with the material that should have gone for the temple. You know, we can spend a lot of our resources, time, energy, and finances, on our priorities. And that leaves very little for what's, what really matters to God, on God things. Uh, I mentioned a minute ago, 1%, less than 1%, offerings of the United States, churches in the United States actually make it to missions. Think about time. Again, just rhetorical. Um, how much of our time do we spend on Facebook and Twitter and social media and frequently I'll be in places I'm with my students at the college or preaching at a church like this and I'll say something like you really need to spend time in God's word regularly, daily and I'll challenge people once you, if you don't spend time in God's word daily why don't you just carve out 30 minutes a day and I can just see by look on their faces sometimes like are you kidding me? 30 minutes a day? I'm busy. How would I ever find 30 minutes a day? Right? Now, I don't know if, you, if your phone has this. You, you, you probably do. But my phone tells me once a week, here's how much time you spent on your phone last week. Y'all, y'all have that? And sometimes it's like really embarrassing. Like, wow. <laughs> I didn't realize I spent that much time on my phone last week checking out ESPN and Twitter and Facebook and da 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 And these same people will say, I haven't got time for God's Word. Okay? Or... I haven't got time for, or I don't have the resources to help out with the Lottie Moon or, the, or whatever. I go, well, you know, it's that, that, those payments that I have and that mortgage and all the other things we might have in our lives. Well, there's misused resources. Then there's also what I'll call unrealized expectation. Look at verse 6 and then we'll skip down to verse 9. You have so much. By the way, when you sow a lot, what do you hope to get? Big, big harvest. Yeah, absolutely. You have sown much, but harvest little. You get the idea. So they're in their sowing and reaping. Like, oh, man, we are going to make it rich. Rather than plant 20 acres, we'll plant 40. Yes. Well, they all came back to their finances. They, they were sowing much, but reaping little. They planted big vineyards and got little grapes from it. Scoot down to verse 9. You look for much. Lord, what's the bottom line? What's the profits on this stuff? But behold, it comes to little. In other words, they were expecting great things, but had very little result from it. I'll add, even though it's not in this passage, this whole idea of sometimes we do the things we do seeking joy and fulfillment. And the thing we think will bring us joy and fulfillment, God doesn't withhold from us. He gives it to us. We won't go there, but Psalm 106, verse 15 this is a quarter of a paraphrase. It's probably somewhere between King James and NAS. <laughs> okay? But here's what it says kind of in the quarter of King James American Standard Version. Uh, he gave them, talking about the nation of Israel, they, they, they were so tired of manna, they said, we've got to have some meat. Just give us some meat. We're tired of this stinking manna. 
Psalm 106, verse 15. He gave them the desire of their hearts that sent them leanness of soul. Did they get what they wanted? Absolutely. The problem is it brought no satisfaction. <laughs> Sometimes when our priorities are wrong, God doesn't say, no, you can't have that toy. You can't do that thing. He said, okay, go ahead. And if you're like me, you get the thing, and it's for a minute or two or five days or whatever, it's kind of satisfactory, whatever. Then after a while, I think, really? All those months and years I wanted that thing, and it really doesn't bring any satisfaction at all. What was I thinking? That's what's going on there. So remember twice the Lord says this, take a long, hard, honest look at your priorities. Your priorities, and because of those priorities, what are you, what are you procrastinating about? Well, you've heard three-fourths of the sermon. What, what's, what, were the, what were the people's response to Haggai's message? I mean, he, he's just told them, listen, here's what's happening, and here's why it's happening. So they say, ah, great sermon, Haggai. Let's, uh, let's go have lunch, and we'll get on with the next week. Well, verse 12. Here's their response. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people. Notice it's not just two leaders. It's all the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence to the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the people, excuse me, all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts their God. So the Lord stirred them up. And what they did? They obeyed. They said, okay, we've got to get started on this thing. No, no more back in verse 2. Now it's not time. Now... Couple, couple of verses later. No, it's time. Let's go. Let's get this thing going. Now, this is kind of important. Verse 15. On the 24th day of the sixth month, second year of Darius the king. Now, their calendar is different than ours, right? I, I get that. But this is pretend this is a U.S. calendar. The sixth month in our calendar is what? June. And on the 24th of June, they did something. You with me? We'll go back to verse 1. On the second year of Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, that's June the 1st. So June the 1st, Haggai says, is it time? And the Lord says, consider your ways. Food time. And I, Come on. <laughs> Stop doing that. Stop putting it off. Do something about it. June 1st. When did they obey? June 24th. Now here's what I don't think happened. I don't think they said, well, we, we we're good at this, right? You, if you want to put something off, what do you say in a Christian world? I'll maybe pray about that. <laughs> Can I pick on you, Glenn? Pretend Glenn's a salesman. He's trying to sell me some life insurance at my door. And I don't really have the heart to tell him no. So I said, well, let me pray about that one. That's a nice way of saying, hey, there's no way in the world I'm going to buy this, but I can't tell you that, so let's go, right? They didn't just pray about it for 23 days. You know, sometimes it takes some time to obey. Here's what I mean by that. Back to verse 8. Well, actually, go to verse 4. What had they done with the wood? Use it on their own homes. So, you know, in the greater Tulsa area, I don't know Tulsa very well because I've lived away from here for a long time, and I guarantee there are Home Depots and Lowe's you can go to on the way home today and buy a, a, a truckload of wood, right? Well, you couldn't do that in 6th century B.C. Judah. <laughs> and so in verse 8, the Lord said this, Go to the mountains 
and get some wood. Well, remember, they didn't have Husqvarna chainsaws and stuff to plane and join and all that, so it takes some work. So I think in the intervening 20-some days, we got to get up there, get some wood, and get it back here. And on the 24th of June, all right, let's go. We're starting sun, sunrise, 24th of June, let's get this thing going. Sometimes when God tells you through his spirit and his word, you know your priorities are out of whack here, you need to do something about it. It takes, sometimes, you can decide today, January 15, 2020, I'm going to do X. Sometimes the actual implementation might take a little while. For example, let's suppose that God convicted me, Corby, you're not tithing on your income. Well, how come I'm not tithing? Well, i got this humongous two car payments I'm making. It might need to say, hey, I'm going to list those one or both of those vehicles and sell them and buy something cheaper so I can start tithing. It may take a week or so to sell the vehicle. I made the decision today, I'm going to start tithing. It may take a little while to sell those vehicles and make such a thing happen. Or, let's suppose I would re... I realize I am compared to the rest of the world, but by U.S. standards, I was really, really rich. And I committed to give $300,000 to Carolina College of Biblical Studies. Here's what I know about some people who are really, really rich. They typically don't have 300 k sitting in a drawer somewhere. It's in stock. I don't think they have to liquidate that, sell some stuff to make that gift happen. My point is this. Sometimes it takes a little time to actually put into motion your obedience. But you can decide today, I'm going to get my priorities right. And then start down that path of obedience. The people of Judah heard a message. You say it's not time. Two times God says, really? It's not time? <laughs> and to you, my words, I really do think it's way past time. Consider your way. What is it you give your time, resources, energies to? Those really need to come in line with what I think God says. And the people as a whole, because God stirred them, said, that's what we're going to do. We're going to get our priorities right. Well, I realize this is not January the 1st, but we're only two weeks into the new year, 2023. You're writing your story, another chapter in your story, chapter 2023, whatever chapter it is for you, but the next chapter of your story. My guess is everybody in here has procrastinated about something. What is it you've procrastinated about that God's through His Spirit kind of put His finger on your heart so you need to get that right? The biggest thing that anybody could ever procrastinate on is putting off the decision to believe Jesus promised for everlasting life. That is the worst thing anybody would ever want to procrastinate on. I don't know everybody here. If that's your story, today, not, not sometime in the future, today is the day to trust Jesus as your Savior. For others, maybe it's a confession. Lord, I confess that I have not done X. That's gone way down my list of priorities. And you've told me clearly in your word and through today's sermon that needs to be high on the list. It needs to be either number one or really high on the list. I confess that. Maybe what you need to say is, God, thank you for, like he did at the end of this chapter, thank you for through your spirit for stirring my heart to actually obey you. I thought I was doing pretty good until your word came today through Agai and said, no, it's not time to do this. It's time to get right and start doing what I told you to do. Thank you for stirring my heart. And lastly, Lord, today I commit 
what is it God's prompted you to commit on? I'm going to guess it's something related to your use of time or your use of your finances. Could be both. Well, what, what's he challenging you to do? I can make it real simple. <laughs> I, I know this to be biblically true. Your time ought to be high priority, ought to be spending time with Jesus every day. Probably in the morning, because if it doesn't happen in the morning, it's probably not going to happen. And being generous with the resources God gave you. Dalton Hill being in the first place, and then other mission places as well. Uh, and I'm convinced you ought to start with a tenth. I can't do that. Well, rearrange your priorities so it can happen. Your time, your resources. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we often say it's not time. I've done it. Everybody in here has done it. It's not time. And really what we're saying is I really don't want to do that. And so I thank you for your prompting today through the, through the message of the little ministry of Haggai the prophet, five plus centuries before Jesus, who challenged the people then. And your spirit has challenged us today to, uh, to stop saying it's not time and consider our ways and uh, realize that we have often misused resources you've given us. We have these really high expectations and they don't get met. Perhaps those expectations aren't being met because our priorities are out of whack. I pray that you would help us to uh, rearrange our priorities today and in the coming year so that they match what you would, uh, what would bring you honor and glory. Help us to use our time in a way that uh, is productive, honors you, and to commit, if we don't already do it, to spend time with you every day in the Word. And then, Lord, with the resources you've given us, we are really, really rich compared to the rest of the world. Help us to be generous with the resources we have, maybe cut back where we ought to, so we can be more generous uh, through Dalton, other ministries, and to people here in Tulsa County. We love you. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We'd love for you to come and visit with us and fellowship with us. We're located at 8263 North Owasso Expressway, which is on the east side of Highway 169 North, between 76th and 86th Street North. We have coffee and fellowship from 8.30 to 9 Sundays, followed by Sunday school for all ages from 9 to 9.45, and our Sunday morning worship service is from 10 to 11. We likewise have a Wednesday night service for all ages from 7 to 8. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all the time.